We're going to continue our sermon series. We're actually going to go backwards now from last week. If you were here last week, we looked at how God created everything good and very good and what that meant, and because it was communion, how God creates good and very good and how it kind of worked with our communion service. This week, we're going a little bit prior to that. We're going to pick up from where we ended, I guess, sometime last month in our creation account. So from the beginning to the end, we have been looking at the account in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. We're still in Genesis chapter 1. We haven't gotten out of it. The last time that we were here, we looked at the days of creation until the first part of day 6. So the land animals, the creeping things, the, the bugs and the beasts and the dogs and the cats. Today we're going to pick up from there and we're going to look at the second half of day six. Before we do that, though, do we have the... All right, before we do that, though, we want to talk about Pablo Picasso. Pablo Picasso, a famed 20th century artist. His paintings go for untold dollar amounts. Uh, People like to get a hold of him. He's usually known for more of his abstract depictions of things. I look at them and I just go, well, that's kind of neat, but it seems like even I can do that and I don't have a whole lot of artistic talent. Uh, People who know what they're looking at tell me that even in the abstract arts, like like him and some of the other well-known artists, that there is still a talent and a depth and a layering to the abstract that Because again, art is not my thing, I'm not talented in that, I can't quite see it. Those with a discerning eye can. I did not know though until recently that he also has a fairly lengthy collection of self-portraits, beginning with his first one at the age of 15 there on the left, and then his next one at the age of 18 there on the right. What what we're looking at is we're going to see a progression of his self-portraits how he viewed himself and how it translated onto his medium as he aged. Because if we're going to consider perhaps what he saw of himself, how he portrayed it, what kind of image does he have about himself? There he is at the age of 20 and then at 24. Can we already see a shift in his depictions? A little less like maybe a real image or capture of himself into something slightly more abstract, even just the difference between the two. The skin color is different, the hair uh, style is different, the eyes look a little bit more empty and blank. We can go on to the next one. There at 35 and then at 56, a leap in a couple of decades, and can you see a very stark contrast? By the time Picasso had gotten into his 50s, he was really working a lot with his, what he has become most famous for, his abstract art, things that are just a little out of where if you and I were to take a photo of it, it would, it would not look like his drawings. And they have nothing similar to his earliest ones in terms of, can you, could you even tell that this was Picasso? if you just had that and you didn't know that he drew it. At 83 and 85, he's actually getting closer to the end of his life, and and just me critiquing it 
Maybe that's why we have less hair on the top of the head, a few more wrinkles in the brow. Maybe those are his ribs showing through if he's losing a little bit of weight as he, as he ages. We can go to the next one. They're at 89 and then at 85, so maybe think of those in other ways. This is really starting to look more humanoid and less human really kind of looks cold, doesn't it? Little, I mean, awfully dark, and you have uh, nondescript lines on that one on the right, more shadow, and I can think of confusion or anxiety when I look at lines like that. And then our next one. Oh, it does stop there. Okay. That's fine. He's got one, he's got actually several when he was 90. He passed away shortly after those last ones. We're done with this. He passed away shortly after his last couple of, of pictures, and they are even less human than these. His image of himself as he aged, as he really found his own in, in whatever drew him to a more abstract style of art, I believe a affected his self-image. And when you look at the ones where he was drawing at 90, and when he's really saying, I believe his last one was titled something like uh, self-portrait facing death or something like that. The face that you see is one of a man looking at the end of his life. There's less color to the skin. There's, there's less brightness in the eyes. There seems to be more questioning or doubt. He seems to be a little less um, upright in his posture, a little bit more hunched, a little bit more down-faced, if you will. And, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you look at it and you go, this is how his image shifted and changed as he aged. I wonder if we do that. I wonder if when we're trying to, to portray who we are to those around us, one, do we go through phases? Two, how well do we do it? And three, how often do we reserve ourselves because we don't really want our real image put out there or our real selves put out there. Let me phrase it that way. We would rather have an image kind of in our likeness and we reserve who we really are. I believe we do that. Sometimes I think that's appropriate. I don't think you should, should really bear everything, certainly not in the kind of social media age that we have. Everything is permanent online, and everyone sees it. Nothing is private, if you haven't figured that out, even on the so-called private forums. But when God was looking at the end of his creation process in Genesis... We introduced the idea early on that he wasn't just arbitrarily putting land and arbitrarily putting water and air and, and creatures and beauty and form and all of that. He wasn't doing that just because he was in a good mood that week. I believe that God knew what the crowning act of his creation was going to be before he uttered those first words, let there be light. I believe he knew that once all of that was done, once it was all shaped and pieced together, that, that the purpose of all of that was so that his final creation at the end of the week would have a home, would have land, 
would have something to do, would have a dominion, etc. It was all leading to this. Our scripture reading today tells us exactly what happened after God called forth the living creatures, the other animals in nature, apart from what our verses have said. Because in Genesis 1 and 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So right out the gate, just because someone asked very recently if this was a comment on the Trinity, it's not. It's a comment on the plurality of God again. You don't have a full understanding of the Trinity until you get to the New Testament. You you can't do it only and exclusively with the Old Testament. But it's certainly a plurality idea about God. Let us make man, that's mankind, that's humanity, in our image after our likeness. This word for image, tselem in the Hebrew, is a meaning of something carved or cut out. Something carved or cut out. That would be like this, like what Picasso had done if if he were to make a self-portrait using wood or marble. That would be tselem in the Hebrew. After our likeness makes much the same point in that God made man like himself, though not divine. That, was one, that is one thing that is only reserved for the Godhead exclusively. God alone is holy, the Bible tells us. But we can learn a, a little bit, quite a bit actually, about what it is to be made in the image of God. What does it mean when God says that? What should we look for back then and right now in humanity? What is it to be made in the image of God, bearing his likeness, defining us as like him, though not divine? John Calvin puts it this way, man resembles him, and that in him, that's man, God's glory is contemplated as in a mirror. I thought that was a very nice way of phrasing it. So in other words, we're going to look at, when we look side by side at each other, and we are contemplating mankind, when we're contemplating one another, what do we see in how it relates to God? One, to be made in the image of God does speak to form. Note that I said form, not body. And there is a difference. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in John chapter 4 and 24, that one, God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and truth. God is spirit, but in all of the theophany accounts that the Bible records, the appearances of God before prophets or his people, God has a form. God is always described with a head, with a chest, with arms, with something like legs, and I say something like legs because that's often the language. It seems that when the prophets in vision are beholding the majesty of the heavens, They're using the best human language that we have to describe the indescribable divine. Something like legs, something like arms. A form, but not a body. Always depicted upright, always depicted as as 
regal in appearance, always as brilliant, always as, as sure of himself and how he's shown. So it's, it's good to know that there, we can draw something from the image of God and how it relates to our form, but I believe it would be wise to stop just shy of saying that God has a definite body. Because the Bible doesn't actually tell us as such. Mankind, we certainly have a body and a form. And in our body and in our form, it speaks of dignity. And a healthy human body has a dignified presence about it. When you are fit, when you are, are walking and you're upright and your shoulders are back and you are you, you are not weighted down or burdened or have some other reason uh, to, to not walk like the way that, that God created us, it speaks of dignity and ability that is beyond the rest of created nature. Our unique structure with our appendages and our balances and our eyes and what we can hear and sense it might not be quite what a dog smells or hears or quite how fast a cheetah can run, but there is a beauty and a dignity that takes mankind even beyond the best that the animal world has. Two, to be made in the image of God includes our mind. Augustine proposed the image of God resides in man's memory, understanding, and will. He was attempting to find in man's mind some sort of commonality with the Trinity. So the three persons of the Godhead, and here's the three elements of the mind. The memory, understanding, and will. I would add that there is at least a fourth, I don't know if it's a subset of the will, but our reason. God has said, come and let us reason together. Humans have, different than the rest of animals, we have a memory in the short term and the long term that definitely outpaces the best of the animal world. The only thing I don't quite understand is salmon getting back to there. That must be something really ingrained, and they've, they don't know where they were born, but they make it back up those rivers. Our understanding, our, our ability to know things goes way beyond the most intelligent animal. Way beyond. And of course, only in humans do we find a will. Uh, the ability to be able to choose to go in this direction or to go in that direction, reason it out and understand why. We can resist another person's will. We can push our own will on someone else and that's different than animals. They just kind of have their instincts and so on. And then, of course, our reason. The ability to think deep and high and broad thoughts. God did not say, let us come and feel together. As important as feelings and emotions are, and I actually think that's one other common thing that we have in our image of God with him. But God has placed our logic and our reason as that higher order. Christ, in, in being called the Logos, Logos is not just word, it is also our root for logic. God is a logical, rational, uh, reason, 
reasonable, reason-bearing being, and man has been created in like manner. We could also think of man's self-awareness and our personalities, which are of a higher order than animals. I have two cats and a dog, and they all have a personality. They are nothing as deep as the people I know. I've kind of figured out what the cats and the dogs are going to be like. It didn't take long. My wife, after 20-plus years of marriage, still surprises me, and I love that about her. My parents, after all of the years that I've known them, still surprise me sometime, and I have dear friends that, that also will, will surprise me in their personality, in how they change a little, or in how they have grown in their self-awareness. We also have a conscience, and we are capable of moral decision-making. God clearly is both of those things. Man alone worships God among the creatures. We alone worship God with a spiritual awareness. You can look at all the various animals, and, and in the various accounts, nature responds to God, but we don't ever read in the Bible how nature seeks after God to worship Him. That's unique to humanity. The wise man in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Only mankind has the ability to think in that way, and that is a that is a high and lofty description. To think in eternal matters is to be made after the image of God. Number three, in verse 27 of Genesis 1, we see that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, both comprise the image of God. In the original creation, it was purely equal in all regards. When it comes to bearing the image of God, that has not changed. When it comes to our morality, when it comes to our value, when it comes to what we are charged with doing and what we, how we worship, who we worship, all of the rest of what we will talk about, it's equal between the sexes. Along the way, where, where men and, and some women certainly got a little confused in that and thought that only the male comprised the image of God and the female had to only bear it because of him, etc. That's faulty thinking. Don't think like that. Male and female, he created them. The differences between the sexes do not detract from this image, but uniquely and together they bear the image. It's good to know. Number four, what we also see in this male and female is that we are communal, not merely individual. As we read through the Bible, we find the three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They work in harmony, Aside from the time when Christ was dead in the grave, those three have not known separation from each other, time immemorial. I don't understand it, but I have faith that God's word is true. 
And just like they have a community with each other, mankind was created for a ne- or with a need for community. We are intended to be together. Isolation and hyper-individualism does not bear out well in, in the population. It doesn't. That's why we have laws that restrict how long a person, even in prison, can be in solitary confinement. That's why when, when people are stranded alone on an island and we hear these stories, usually there's some account of them personifying something that they then kind of talk to. Uh, the, the Tom Hanks movie, Castaway, might bring that. He had his little, little, beach, uh, little beach ball, volleyball. Wilson, he personified a volleyball, but that maintained in his mind that relationship, the community that we all need. You can see terrible results right now in what happens when you forcefully interrupt that for any lengthy period of time. With the lockdowns from COVID and everyone being told to go home and being told to stay apart from each other and being told that if you get near one another, you just are going to kill them, all of that breaks down, broke down that community The community need and an image and, and thing that's deeply rooted in us. And that has borne out in skyrocketing prescriptions for antidepressants, anti-anxieties, ADHD drugs, an explosion in, in addictive behaviors and, and, and uh, addiction to social media and the depression rates and the suicidal thoughts and people being stunted in, in vocabulary and language and social interactions, all of that. All of that is still being felt, and we really don't know how long it's going to impact our society, especially our little kids. You can't just take how God has created us, forcefully smush it down, and then think everything is going to be okay. Which is why the Bible talks about, in Ephesians chapter 4 and then in Hebrews, I'm going to turn to those really quick. I forgot to put a marker there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is speaking of the body of Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body of Christ is intended to be held together, knit together, and grow up together, not apart from each other. And then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. From the beginning, God intended humanity to be a community creature. And we need to continue practicing that. Number five. In verse 26, we see that God created man to be a vice-regent over the rest of creation. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, God has a dominion. What's his dominion, saints? 
Everything. All the universe and everything that it contains. But he here has created man in his image, and then like himself, he has given man a dominion. Not a dominion apart from him, but a dominion in God's place, a co-regent, a vice-regent over nature. Meaning that man exercises the authority of another. We exercise the authority in God's name over creation. We're supposed to keep animals in check and, and be good stewards of the plants and the streams and the fish and the birds. All human beings are called to represent God's kingship through the whole range of human life on earth. God's rule is not the rule of a despot, but the loving nurture of a caring parent. And that's how we should rule over the rest of nature. I'm, I'm not one for at the expense of all things we preserve all the rest of nature. I don't, I'm, I'm not one for that, but I do believe God has called us to be this, to be the stewards, to be the caretakers of the rest of this planet. We should not uh, unnecessarily waste. We certainly shouldn't unnecessarily um, use up resources beyond our needs. We, sh- we should keep things clean. We should help the animals that need our help. We should do all of those things. Don't abuse nature. God has said that that's our dominion. And I believe he will hold us account to much of what we have done. Number six, the image of God includes communion with God. Spiritual creatures, we are intended to live in harmony with a spiritual God. Animals are unaware of him in the same sense that we are. They neither seek after him nor do they worship him. Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, that's people, because God has shown it to them. He reveals himself to us because he wants to be known, and he wants us to know him, and he wants us to reveal ourselves back to him. That's prayer, that's devotion, that's that's taking a nature walk and looking at the beautiful flowers and not going, oh, what a fine accident that happened. Seeing God's fingerprint on the rings of a tree and so on. He wants to commune with us and he reveals himself to us. Jesus in the gospel of John in chapter 17 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, salvation, is in knowing God, not just intellectually, but relationally. You have to you have to become a little intimate with your creator. He knows your ins and outs. Why not go ahead and be honest with him? Why not share with him what you're excited about and what you're sad about, what you're looking forward to or what you're anxious over? All of that openness strengthens the bond between you and him. Much like in a marriage, if if you and your spouse regularly hold back from each other, only sharing the the generic or the superficial, maybe you'll stay married for a long time. But if anything comes up that challenges that, how easily do the cracks form? You want to grow closer to each other, and you want to grow closer to God. We also see that 
in, cre- in the creation method itself, in the blessing that God poured out on his creation, we see this communion. Because in Genesis 1 and verse 22, it says that God just blessed the birds and the fish. He blessed them and he said, let them be fruitful and multiply. In verse 28 of chapter 1, God also does the same thing after he creates man. He blessed them, but he says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over the fish and the sea, etc. So the other rest of animals, they, the, the animals are created, and then God, God declares over them a blessing, and then that ends the day. When God makes man and woman, he declares a blessing on them, but then he also holds a conversation with them. He speaks to them, and he says, this is what you are to do. He doesn't do that with the rest of nature. That is much more personal. That is much more of a communion with our Creator. Number seven, the image of God includes righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 and 24 says that we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. At the beginning, in the beginning, God created man perfect. We were righteous like him. We didn't have to try. It came naturally to be righteous. It came naturally to want to do what God asked us to do. It, we didn't have to fight against it. We didn't have to plead for the help. We didn't stumble and fall and, and go, boy, can, I, can, can God help me tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow will be a better day. In the beginning, we were created like God, righteous and desiring to be holy like him. We were created after his likeness, true righteousness and holiness. This signifies that in the beginning we had a right standing with God and holiness before him. If you look at the sanctuary process, the tabernacle process, from the outer court and the curtains to the wash basin and, the, and, the, and the, the altar and then into the holy place and then into the most holy place and so on. That is a progress of how does an unholy human enter into the presence of a holy God. We have to do that right now because we are broken and we are sinful. It was not so in the beginning. We could just walk with God and we were not blinded by His brightness. We could be in His presence and not worry or fear about our existence because we were not out of harmony with His holiness. We were created in His image in that way. Why are we considering all of this? Why do we look at all of this? And we can, we can keep on going. We could, there are many other facets to humanity that you could say is created after the image of God. You could think of our creativity, our imagination. You could think of our vocabulary and our ability to communicate. You can think of so many things. But why do we even bother looking at this? Our midweek study during prayer meeting has been going through some of the 
basic Christian practices. So we started with looking at the practice of prayer, why it was important, different types of prayer, that communication um, that we need between us and our Heavenly Father. We just started looking at Bible study. And our introduction this past week uh, brought to mind some of the reasons you study the Bible. And one really important reason is you study the Bible because the Bible gives you the biggest answer or the answers to some of the biggest questions that mankind has been asking for millennia, such as, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What am I to do while I am here and going? If we answer the who am I and why am I here, we are living creatures made by God to bear his own image. That's why we're here. It says so. The stamp of God is seen in our moral and our spiritual nature. It is seen in our shared love within community and in our dominion on God's behalf. And it's especially seen in our calling to communion with God in knowledge and righteousness. That's why we are here. We aren't here because of an accident. We aren't here because fate said so. We aren't here to just discover ourselves like so many people want to propose today. That, that self-seeking attitude of who am I and I need to, dis- well, I just need to go on a journey to discover myself. And, and it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of narcissistic kind of thought in our world today. The Bible tells us why you're here. You are here to bear God's image. In bearing his image, it includes all of the rest of what we've already talked about. There is nothing that could grant a greater dignity, along with humility before God, together with a higher sense of calling and privilege, than to realize that we are creatures designed to know and be known by God and to love and be loved by our Maker. It's the greatest dignity that we could have. Forget the CEOs and the millionaires and the billionaires. Forget how well you work out or what awards you might win or what treasures you have laid up. The greatest dignity that we have is to realize that we are creatures designed to know and be known by God and to love and be loved by our Maker. That's why we're here. And it's such a joy. It's such a joy. But we have to also ask, is everything good in mankind today? Is everything going the way that it once did back in Eden? Are we still getting along in harmony with one another and with our God? Is the image of God even still present today? And if so, to what degree? What about the image of God in mankind after the fall and the introduction of sin? It has been proposed early on as Christians were wrestling with this. It has been proposed, no, the image of God is not present because sin has depraved us so much that it's just squashed the image of God right out of us. And that we are rebuilding that back. And well, God is rebuilding that back, but it won't actually occur until we're in glory. 
Some say yes. Some say yes, it hasn't diminished, even though we're not perfect, even though it's not really ideal. The image of God is still there. I would suggest to you that it is both no and yes. It is both and, not either or. This is a fine quote. We must state both that after his revolt, mankind remains mankind. We didn't become some other creature or some other creation. We are still mankind. And also that mankind has radically changed. I think that's fair. That he is but a grisly shadow of himself. Mankind remains the image of God, inviolable and responsible, but has become a contradictory image. One might say a caricature, a witness against himself. So no and yes. We are still humanity. We are still mankind. There is no record that suggests that humans are now a completely different type of species or a different genus or a different whatever. You can certainly find a variety and a spectrum of sizes and shapes and colors and abilities and so on. It's all humanity. Wherever you fall along that line, we're all still part of the human race. No matter the, this is, I find it odd to say, no matter the corner of the globe (laughs) that you find yourself from or in, and those you interact with, you look at them and they look at you, we're all part of the same human race. And that hasn't changed. We are still that. But we have to be truthful in recognizing that we are radically changed from creation from even Noah's time or the patriarch's time or so on. We don't still talk about the giants that walk the land and I look like a grasshopper in their sight. We don't really do that anymore. We have changed. You can think of it this way. You can think of it kind of like a piece of of tempered glass or a vehicle window that gets a nick and spiders out. It shatters. It's still there, it still has its form and its shape, but it is not what it once was. It's cracked, it's distorted. You can see it, but you can't see clearly through it. And if you push on it too hard, you can just kind of break it apart into pieces. Or you can think of if you did a self-portrait, maybe in some watercolor, and, and then you got caught in a rainstorm and some rain drops fell on your watercolor painting. It might mar the image that you had put onto the canvas, even if you can kind of tell that there was once a person's face there. Similar things. The image of God has been distorted by our depravity. We have lost our close communion with Him. We can think through the rest of this list and we can say, you know, we are not quite as healthy as perhaps we once were. We have our aches and our pains more so. We can see that even our bodies are different. Some are born missing an appendage or needing surgeries right away. Or some have a propensity for cancers. They have a predisposition from birth for cancers. That wasn't in the original nature. 
We know that some have different mental abilities. Some are very limited and handicapped, and some are exceptional. That's a change. That's different. We can think of male and female. Our relationships with one another have have certainly taken turns. I mean, the, the whole men are from, what is it, women are from Venus and men are from Mars kind of idea shows that no longer do we have that harmony with the equality that was there in, at creation. We don't. Our community is not in harmony with one another. More people seem very content with a really individual aspect about themselves and their interactions. And can I serve me, not how can we all be in unity? People fight, people argue, people attack, people are vindictive, people hurl insults at one another or worse. The image of God has certainly been tainted. As vice regents, we have not always done well in being good stewards of our earth. It's just plain and simple. Sometimes we've had some very catastrophic natural disasters of our own making. Uh, The most recent one that comes to my mind would be the train wreck in Ohio. That, That was not good, and the cleanup was not good. And I believe some of the lies that were told to the people were not good. Health will be affected for years, they're saying, because of that. That's not good stewardship, if we're just honest with ourselves. Of course, we've had our communion with God interrupted. We cannot walk in His presence anymore. We do not talk with Him in the cool of the evening like Adam and Eve certainly enjoyed. And we do not have an innate bent towards righteousness and holiness. We now have a born-with-nature bent opposed to it. We are now much more inclined to scream and shout curses at God, or at best, we just resist the Holy Spirit's urgings. We make excuses when we sin, when we put our selfish desires above the will of God. We blame others for it. You caused me to do this. I don't want to do what God has asked. I don't even care. That's where we naturally go. We need the promise of a new creation. We remain creatures designed to know God and to respond to Him in faith and praise. That is true. That's why we're not totally depraved. We can still respond to Him, to the promptings of His grace by faith. But now, fallen man, though we do still bear God's image, we respond to divine knowledge by cursings and rebellion. But is there hope? Is there hope for the hot mess we find ourselves in? Is there hope for the depraved image that we certainly are? Is there a time when it will no longer be the cracked glass, but rather clean and clear and put back together whole as it should be? Jesus shows that the answer is yes. Not because he just really said it, but because Jesus Christ is real. And he was here. And he walked among us. And he showed that harmony with with heaven and human again. In Jesus, we know that the answer 
is yes, because in Jesus, we know that we can have victory over the depravity. In Jesus, we see the only way to forgiveness from sin that taints and mars and tears up and soils. In Jesus, we see the example of what we should have been. And if we model ourselves more and more after Him, that does something in us. It is, it is true that the more you practice something, the easier it becomes until it's much more of just a habit or your first thought, or you don't even think, you just kind of do the thing that you're wanting to do. Exercise is a fine example. It's awful the first 30 days. If you're out of shape, it's awful. You creak, you ache, you don't want to get up. Lifting a can of soup after you've worked out the day before, it's tough. Your body reminds you that you haven't moved that way or lifted that much in who knows how long, and you want to give it up. But you get past that 30-day hurdle and then the 60-day hurdle, and all of a sudden, it kind of happens this way. You find that you miss it when you don't have it. You find that you don't get winded as easily when you walk the stairs. It's, it's more natural to choose water instead of a Coca-Cola because you know that you feel better with the one and the taste is good. And the Coca-Cola is just too sweet. I can't drink Coke anymore. I, haven't, I, I don't really like it. I'm not there yet, but I, I can tell you from personal experience, if, if you drink a lot of water, you like it, and the sodas are a lot less appealing. It is that way in your spiritual walk also. It's not easy or comfortable to first open up the Word of God and see high and lofty and holy things. It's not always easy. It's not easy to get into the habit of reading something like this, which is a fine piece of literature with deep understanding, not the surface, simple-minded dribble that you get in most news outlets today. This will challenge you. This will really get at you asking those really piercing kinds of questions. The Word of God is like a two-edged sword, is it not? But it's not easy when you first do it. Prayer sometimes feels off or uncomfortable or awkward or, well, I could be doing something else or am I praying long enough? Then your thoughts enter your mind. Stick with it because God is working in you His will both to love and know and to do of His good pleasure. And much like exercise, 30 days, 60 days, 120 days, if you are consistent with it, it becomes a part of your life. And that image that we so long to have perfected starts to shine. And you really do start to again regain some of what sin has chipped away and clouded up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24 talks about putting off the old man concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, 
which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You get rid of the depraved and you put on Christ's robe of righteousness, that new man, and he will recreate you again after his image. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Behold him and he will change you from glory to glory. In Jesus Christ, our final quote, who is both the Son of God and the image of God, we are restored to our humanity as true images of our Creator and more than images. In Jesus, we are more than just an image of God. In Jesus, we are adopted into the heavenly family and we are then sons and daughters in God's family. That's more than just bearing an image. We now have a title and a belonging and a relationship and community and everything else. You are now a son and a daughter of God in Christ by the bond of that new covenant. The covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise! What a blessed assurance! We are created in God's image, and it it contains so many of those things, and we haven't lost all of it. But the only way to regain it all back is to find it in Christ. The Bible tells us that he was the one who was the active person in creation. He created us. He started humanity on our journey on earth. He is also the one who redeems us and recreates us back into that same image. He is the beginning and the end for humanity. And I say praise God for being created in His image. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the awesome privilege of being made in Your likeness. Lord, we praise You that after we messed up as a people and as we continue to mess up today, that You do not just shun us completely from your sight, but rather you humbled yourself, becoming one of us, living the life that we should have, dying the death that we rightly deserve, but also conquering the grave for us so that we might have a claim to Christ's righteousness, that we might have a claim to eternity in you, that we might have a claim to being called your sons and your daughters, not because we've earned it, but because You so freely give it to us in Christ's name. Lord, I pray that we would all claim it, hold on to it, and carry it with us until we see Jesus coming to take us home. Lord, may that be our reality today. We pray in your name. Amen.